Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. Happy Easter, everybody. As we celebrate Jesus' victory over sin and death, it's so easy to overlook the doubts that inevitably surface as we consider extraordinary event, the resurrection. It's easy for us to view our doubts as an obstacle to faith, but it's not. God isn't afraid of our doubts, so we don't have to be either. In our new series, Doubting God, we're creating a space for the questions we've been afraid to ask. So together, let's discover how to deal with our doubt and use it as a catalyst for building our faith. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nathan with part one of our series, Doubting God. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. As you're being seated, would you just go ahead and say happy Easter to three, four people around you? Just let them know you're happy. You're here. Thanks to our band for leading us this morning. What a great job they did. (laughs) Now all the extroverts in the crowd just got energized and all the introverts, that's like half your day's energy is gone. Just, oh, I had to talk to a stranger at church. It must be Easter. Um, awesome. So glad that you're here. You know, a few days ago we had our Good Friday services and totally different feel because we were remembering the high price that was paid, the things we kind of walked through, seven things Jesus suffered for us. And hope that was uh, a powerful time to remember all that Jesus paid for us. But today's kind of more like a party. It's a little more of a celebration. We got lights and we're singing loud and we're celebrating because, let's all say it together, because he's what? Risen. Thank you. Yes. He's risen now. Yeah. And here's the thing. If Jesus is truly risen, it changes the game, changes everything. It changes what death means because there's life after death. It changes, it gives us hope. It gives us hope for eternity. It it changes so much if Jesus truly is risen. We're going to talk about that today. So let's, let's turn to Matthew 28 and I just want to read a few passages This is how Matthew describes what took place on that first Easter Sunday morning. It says this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. This is a Sunday morning. The sun is coming up. And it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, we've got two Marys. Okay? Just to confuse you. We've got two Marys. They're headed to the tomb. We know that they were hoping that when they got there, the, the, the guards would roll the, two, the stone away so that they could embalm Jesus' body with spices and give him a, a proper burial worthy of their master. And uh, it says that, behold, there was a great earthquake. So they're on their way. There's an earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he just sat on it, which is cool. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This sounds like something out of a Marvel movie, doesn't it? <laughs> like flashes of lightning coming off. He's just sitting there and everyone's laying on the ground pretending to be dead because they're scared. Verse 5 says, The angel said to the women, Mary and Mary, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel actually acknowledges, yes, Jesus died. Yes, this is where they buried him. Yes, you're in the right place. But the good news is found in verse 6. He's not here. He has, let's say it together, risen. And he came. And he said, come see the place where he lay. So he's essentially like, Jesus isn't here. He's risen. Just like he said he would go ahead and look in the tomb. His body isn't there. As I said, if Jesus rose, it changes everything. But perhaps there are those uh, here today who are skeptical. 
And maybe you're here for Easter service because someone promised you turkey afterwards, right? Let's be honest, or ham, or pizza, however you do your thing. And, and you know what? I, that, that's, man, if you're here at a service worshiping a guy you don't believe in because you love your family, I think that's cool. Secondly, I think that you're probably right to have some healthy skepticism, right? I was taught when I was a little kid, see if you can fill in the blank on this. If something seems too good to be true, it, yeah, you know this, right? It probably is, right? And, uh, and man, that's called healthy skepticism. Sometimes my phone will ring at home and I'll pick it up and I'll hear this, this foghorn. It's like, you've won a cruise. And I don't give them my social insurance number or my credit card. I just hang up the phone. That's called healthy skepticism. You with me? If I told you this morning that I went to McDonald's, you might believe that. I mean, you look at me, you're like, he looks like a guy who eats at McDonald's a lot, actually. Uh, but if I told you that I went to China this morning, little bells would be going off. You're like, wait, no, 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 no. Nobody can go there and back it one more. So you have this healthy, healthy skepticism. Now, what's interesting is after Jesus is resurrected, the angel tells the women, he's not here, he's risen. And they go back and tell the disciples. Peter and John run to the tomb. They look, they see the empty tomb. They hear the words that the angel told to, to Mary. And you know what their response is? Their response isn't, he is risen. They don't start breaking out in song. They're not celebrating. They're not spreading the news. They actually think someone stole the body. So the disciples themselves were skeptical. Now it gets better than that. Because over the next 40 days, everybody say 40. 40. That's a lot of days. Over the next 40 days, scripture records at least 10 different times that Jesus appears to people. Like, actually, so it's not like people thought they saw Jesus in a market. It's Jesus' doppelganger. I think I saw somebody from behind, but it looked like it was probably Jesus. No, it was none of that. Jesus actually appeared to people in person. First, he appears to Mary in the garden and talks to her, and she touches him. He's real. And then Jesus walks on the road to Emmaus with these two men and explains the scriptures to them. Jesus shows up in an upper room with 10 of his disciples and has a conversation with them. Jesus showed and appeared in front of 500 or more people, Paul tells us. Jesus uh, appears to his disciples on the beach. They're out fishing. And there's a guy on the beach barbecuing some fish sticks. And then Peter realizes Jesus and he just dives into the water and swims to shore and he can't believe it. So Jesus is there. He's eating a meal with them. He's a physical Jesus. He then is going to show up again in front of all of 11 disciples. We're going to read about that today. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to say, touch me. And then finally, Jesus appears another time we know of, and this is on the mount. And he invites his disciples there and he's going to give them the great commission. Go and preach the gospel. Tell everyone I've risen. And he's going to ascend into heaven and send them out. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today in Matthew 28. It says this in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. What does it say there? But some doubted. This blows my mind. Because the disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus. They had talked to him. They're looking right at him, and yet they still doubted. Today we're kicking off a five-week message series in which we're going to be talking about doubting God. What do we do with the doubts that we have about God, about the scriptures, about the things that it says? What do we do with our doubt? And the title of my message today is simply this, Dealing with Doubt. Dealing with Doubt. Because I grew up in church, and I'll tell you this, when I grew up in church, um, basically the message that I received, good people, good churches, the message I received was, don't doubt. Just believe. Which is crazy to tell a kid 
14-year-old kid, don't doubt, when the disciples doubted. And they could physically see Jesus and have breakfast with him. And so the question that we want to ask and we want to wrestle through in the coming weeks is, how do we deal with our doubt? How do we process thoughts that we have? How do we explain the unexplainable when we look at something as magnificent as the resurrection of Jesus? I don't know about you, but I find it so encouraging when I read that the disciples had doubts. Don't you? There's something about that. I don't know. It's like when you see that somebody else struggles, it like kind of feels good. Am I the only one? <laughs> right? And sometimes like I'll come to church and I think people, because I have the title of pastor and I'm on the stage with the microphone, people like, they're like, Jesus is here. And then Pastor Nathan is right here. Maybe that's what you think. It's not true. And, and so then you might just expect that, you know, my marriage and my family and my kids, they're perfect, you know, and finances, mental health, it's all just like, it's like peaceful and serenity like Jesus. And then I get up on stage and I tell a story about how I fail and how I messed up and everyone laughs. They think it's so funny. And you leave church just smiling. You're just so encouraged. It's like, <laughs> I'm not as bad as the pastor. Like it's, it's encouraging somehow. And it is to see, because here's what happens. When we see that the disciples had doubts of their own, what it means is they're human. It means they're fallible. It means that they had doubts, but they they figured a way to sort their doubts out because they go on to preach the gospel and do many great things in the name of God. And so, again, when I grew up in church, it was like, just believe. And what we want to talk about is what do we do? How do we deal with the doubts that we have? Here's the first thing you need to know. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's not. It's not the absence of doubt. In fact, I would actually argue that that faith isn't the absence of doubt. Faith is the decision to move in Jesus' direction and to trust him in spite of your doubt. That would be a better way to think about it. But but faith isn't the absence of doubt. I I know what the scriptures say. They say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things are new. God has done something transformative in my heart and I'm new in him. Now, I know that that's true. I read it and I believe it. And then there are days when one of my kids gives me some sass and old Nathan starts to surface. I'm like, where did that come from? I thought I was new. And I'm wrestling with it, right? I know that the scriptures say he that the son sets free is free indeed. And I know that I'm not bound by the chains of my past. And yet, and yet there are moments when I'm holding on to those chains going, wait a minute. And I'm wrestling. So there's the doubts that surface in my life. And I'm sure that you experience them as well. And to be honest, each and every one of us will experience what I call moments of certainty and moments of doubt. Everyone. You might be surprised to know that everyone in this room. So, for example, let me ask a question. We're going to show of hands. How many of you have had a moment of certainty where you just knew God loved you, he was present with you? Let's get a show of hands. Guess a bunch. And yet I'm guessing, and I won't get a show of hands, that even though every single person here is like, man... I know that God has met me. I know that he's spoken to me. I know that he loves me. Then there are also moments where you're like, where are you? And that's just real, isn't it? Moments of certainty, moments of doubt. The question is not that we have doubts. It's what do we do with them? How do we deal with them? You know, um, I was thinking about how certainty can actually be a dangerous thing. When I was a little kid, um, someone let me watch Knight Rider. I was like six. I probably shouldn't have. David Hasselhoff was not the best role model. Um, for those that have seen this show, it's a 1980s show. It's really realistic. Uh, it's black like Trans Am. And it was indestructible. It was bulletproof. It could jump over cars. It was so cool. Inside, there was kit. There was a computer, little red lights. It was like chat GBT in the car. It was amazing. You could talk to it and do all kinds of stuff. And so you got this, this car with artificial intelligence that's bulletproof. And as a kid, I just saw it. And I'm like, that's amazing. 
And one day we were walking through the aisles of, I think it was Sears or one of those Kmart or one of those stores. And we're going through the store and I saw a model of kit. It was black, it was steel, it had like working doors and wheels. And I looked at that model car and I just said to my parents, I've got to have it. Dad, mom, look, can I get, it's kit, it's Knight Rider, can I get it? And my dad looked at that car, I still remember, I'm like this big. And he says, Nathan, this thing's going to break. I said, no, it's not. It's Knight Rider. It's indestructible. And to my parents' credit, they bought it for me that day so that my hopes and dreams could be dashed. That's what they did. They got me this car, and I, I took it home, and I'm, you know, I'm driving it through books and down the stairs, and next thing you know, the hood's dented. And then one of the doors caught and ripped right off, so I had like a one-car Knight Rider. And then I finally I left it on the wood stove, and the, and the wheels just melted right off. It was so, because here's the thing, I was so certain this thing was indestructible, and it wasn't. And it's a funny story, but can I tell you something? This is how why certainty can be dangerous, because there are people listening to me today, and maybe you grew up in church, or maybe you've been around, and you've, somebody told you, this is the way it is. This is who God is. This is what he does. This is what he never does. He always, he never. This is how Christians behave. This is what you should do. And so you've been told all of this stuff that gives you a frame for God, and then... You're so certain that that's the way it is. And when God doesn't do what you expect, all of a sudden, the wheels of your certainty just melt away and you're left with doubt. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? And it's in these moments when we face these kinds of doubts that what we believe about doubt actually really, really matters. Here's the first thing that you need to know. This should be encouraging. Having doubt doesn't mean that you have no faith. Because if that were true, the opposite would also be true. That also would be true, right? If you have a little bit of doubt, you have no faith. This is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. There's so many great examples in the scripture of of men and women of faith who had moments of doubt. I find it encouraging. Like David. David in one psalm, he's just like, you are my rock. You are my fortress. In you alone will I trust. I will not be shaken. He's going on and on. And like the next chapter, he's like, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Moments of certainty. Moments of doubt. David went through them. Then we go to the New Testament, we see guys like John the Baptist. You know him? John the Baptist, is he's in the River Jordan, he's baptizing people. And over the hill comes Jesus. And he sees Jesus at a distance, and he doesn't say, this guy's interesting, we should pay attention to him. He points and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Complete certainty. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. Follow him. That's what he says not too long after John finds himself in prison. And he hears news about what Jesus is doing. And guess what? Jesus doesn't do, and he isn't doing the things that John expected him to do. And so he actually sends a messenger to Jesus from prison. And he asks Jesus this question. Are you the one, or should we be waiting for somebody else? Isn't that crazy? One moment, son of God, lamb of God, takes away, so certain. And in another moment, he's beginning to doubt and question what he thought was true. And so having doubt doesn't mean that you have no faith. And unfortunately, many people in church, hearing sermons, right? They never learn how to deal with their doubt. And unfortunately, they instead leave church. And they don't leave because God isn't good. And they don't leave because of the Bible or because of Jesus. They actually leave because they have questions that they don't feel safe asking. And I'm telling you, the church should be the safest place to bring your questions and your doubts. Do you agree with that? should be the safest place. It should be the place where you can ask your questions. Maybe you've been in class before. You know that moment when the teacher's talking about something you don't understand? 
but you're too scared to ask the question. So many people come to church and feel like that, right? These teachers going on about polynomials, and you're like, I don't know what it is, and they're explaining how they work, and you're going, ah, and you want to put up your hand and say, please, just explain it to me, but you're afraid, and then someone at the back of the class is brave enough. You love that person. They're like, can I ask a silly question? What's a polynomial? The teacher's like, oh, that's silly, and they explain it, and the whole class breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, yeah, we had that same question. And in church, people ought to be safe to ask questions, ought to be safe to bring their doubts. This should be the safest place. And you'll find when you bring your questions and doubts that other people are like, hey, I had that same one too. Let's, let's bring it to Jesus together. And I think that's, that's what we want to do. The church should be the safest place. There should be room to wrestle with your faith and doubts. Because if there isn't, the only other option is to walk away and try something else. So why do we doubt? Some of the, some of the questions that we're going to ask and we're going to be answering in the, in the coming weeks, um, the next four weeks... Uh, why do we doubt? Number one, we have questions we can't answer. Have you ever noticed Christians? I don't know if it's like this in every other world religion, but Christians seem to always want to have an answer for everything. I don't know why we can't just be like, I don't know. Just have to have an answer. So we often come up with the wrong thing and talk about it like it's true. Number two, we experience situations that seem unfair, right? So someone you love gets sick, Somebody dies, there's a war, there's a famine, there's a whatever, bankruptcy. These things happen and we go, God, where were you? I don't know. I don't understand the situation. Why did you let it happen? Why didn't you heal? Those are the things we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Third, we have hurts we can't resolve. Maybe somebody did something, said something, whatever happened to you, and we're not sure how to process what's happened. And so because of that, uh, we doubt. We doubt God's goodness and faithfulness. But I believe that if handled properly... Our doubts can be, our doubts can be a catalyst to a stronger faith. That when we take our doubts and we bring them to Jesus, there are answers. When we take our doubts and we bring them to Jesus, we can actually move forward. Because our faith, our faith grows as we move through the doubts and bring it to Jesus. Today I want to look at the example of a guy named Thomas. You've probably heard of Thomas. He's one of the disciples. And uh, we're going to turn to John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, uh, we hear a little bit about Thomas. Here's what it says. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, apparently he had a twin brother, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the, the, original ver- the original language is very emphatic. They just kept going on and on. Like, we've seen him. He showed up. You should have been here. It was amazing. He's really risen. They're just going on and on. And the scriptures don't tell it doesn't tell us where Thomas was. Makes me wonder. I'm like, where was Thomas? Everyone's together except Tom. And I like to think he was on a coffee run. So he went, he took everyone's order, and he went down to Tim Hortons or whatever they had, right? And and so he's coming back, he's got all the trays with the coffee, he's got the bagels, and he comes in the door, he's like, look, and they're like, You missed it. And could you imagine the feeling of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus shows up, everybody saw him but you. You're the only one who didn't. Man, he must have been disappointed. He must have been. He must have been. And in this moment, they're going on and on and on. You missed it. You may, ever had friends do that to you? Like, oh, you missed the most incredible. It was the best. Yeah, and they're going on and everyone's talking about it. And you're just standing there like, yeah, I missed it. And that's Thomas. And so in that moment, in his frustration, here's what Thomas says, verse 25. They're like, we've seen the Lord. And he says to them, unless I see for myself in his hands the marks of the nails, if I see where those nails went in, And place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side where he was pierced. 
I will never believe. This one statement that he makes in this one moment, and he gets branded. Do you know what they call him? Doubting Doubting Tom. One statement. Can you imagine if you got a nickname from one thing you said just once? I'd have a bunch of really bad nicknames, I tell you that. Okay? (laughs) Doubting Tom. The guy doubts once, and he's called Doubting Thomas. In reality, Thomas just wanted to see Jesus like the rest of them had. He was frustrated and angry and said this. I I think Thomas was just a realist. He just wanted some proof. He wanted some evidence. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'd like to make a case for Thomas, if you'll let me. In John 11, Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus has just died and he's been put in a grave. And Jesus is like, okay, we're going to go. And he'd been in the grave for a while and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. Really cool. Which is actually a four prophetic example of what Jesus was going to do shortly after, but that's another message. Jesus goes, and on the way there, the, the disciples understand that because Bethany is so close to Jerusalem, it's like a suburb, and the Jewish leaders were so intent on killing Jesus, they expected that if Jesus went to where Lazarus was, he might be arrested and killed. And it's actually Thomas that actually steps up, and he says, let's go with Jesus, that we may die with him. That doesn't sound like a doubter at all. Sounds like a guy who really believed in Jesus. Sounds like a guy who had a lot of courage, who wanted to die with Jesus. That's, that's Thomas. A few chapters later in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, he's like, hey, soon I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. He's like, I'm going to prepare a, a place for you, mansions and all that. And Thomas is the one who speaks up, and he's like, okay, you're preparing. I believe you. You're going. We're going to go. I believe. But he's like, how can we... How can we get there if you don't tell us where you're going? And how can we know the way? If we, so it, this makes me think that Thomas is a detail guy. And I, I know you can't categorize people into two categories, but I think of people like dreamers and detail people. And you probably know which of those two you would lean towards. Can we get a show of hands if you're a detail person? You love the details, got to know the details. Okay, a bunch of hands going up. If somebody put up their hand and they shouldn't, just pull it down. A real detail. You're not a detailed person. <laughs> but there's dreamers. I'm a dreamer. My wife, God bless her soul. She's a detailed person. And I'll, I'll say to her, I'll be like, Jess, let we, in July, we should do like this family adventure. We should, it's going to be so much fun. And I tell her my big idea. And I'm expecting her to be like, Nathan, that's such a great idea. But she doesn't say that. She'll say, what week? Like, I don't know. And then she'll open the calendar. She'll be like, well, this one doesn't work, and that one doesn't work, and Naomi's working, and this kid's got camp, and like, we, maybe this week, do you think this week could work? And I'm like, I, I guess so. And then she'll say like, well, how much is it going to cost? And like, is Noah coming? And she'll just go, who's going to watch the dog, right? She's going like all through the checklist. And, and inside of me, I'm just like, oh, your details are sucking the life out of my dreams, okay? And she would respond and be like, your dreams are sucking the life out of my life. Like, that's just, just what's happening. See, preach it. She's back there. Preach it. Yeah. And what's, and you guys are encouraged somehow that we can't figure that out, right? It's like, ha Okay. They're, they're, they're like us human. But Thomas just wanted some evidence. He just wanted the details and facts. Like if he's risen, let me see him. If he's risen, he'll have nail prints in his hands. Right. And I want to see them. That's Thomas. And what's interesting is that when Thomas has doubts, it's not a moment to panic, it's a moment to process. And what we're going to see in just a moment is we're going to see how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubt. Because Jesus isn't like, you shouldn't doubt. 
you faithless. No, none of that. So what happens next in the story is in John 20, verse 26, it says, eight days later, a little over a week, disciples are inside again, and Thomas this time is with them. See that? I bet you Thomas didn't leave their side once for eight days. It's like, wherever they go, it's like, I'm not missing it. Thomas is there. And I, let me encourage you, if you have doubts about God and you're not sure, just keep showing up. There's something powerful about just being in the room. And, and I'm telling you, like, maybe, maybe what you could do is just come for the next four weeks. Just listen through the whole series and just see if some of the questions you have, some of the doubts you have about God don't get answered. Just keep showing up. Thomas is there. And it says, although the doors were locked, Jesus comes into the room and stood among them and says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, now this is cool, because Jesus wasn't in the room when Thomas came back and was like, well, if I don't see, but Jesus knew his doubts. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't scold him. Jesus moves in his direction. He's like, oh, put your finger here. He, he literally says, here, put your finger in my wounds. Here, put your hands. You said you wanted to see the nail prints. Well, here they are. Touch them, Thomas. Like Jesus moves in his direction to meet him where he is. Do not disbelieve, he says, but believe. And Thomas, we don't know if Thomas actually touched him or not. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. He believes. He believes. Which is interesting because not long after they're going to be on the mountain and some of the disciples didn't believe. And he still has the name doubting Thomas. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? But Thomas believes because he has seen with his eyes. And here's the, here's the big idea I wanted you to, 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 to understand. God is not distant in your doubts. He is not put off by the fact that you have questions. In fact, I rather think he would expect us to have questions. He's not a standoff savior. He knows your doubts. Why not reach out to him? So we have Thomas. Call him Doubting Thomas. Because he didn't believe. And then he sees Jesus and he believes in Jesus. And then Thomas comes to Jesus with his questions. Jesus answers his questions. And then Thomas goes on to live a faithful life for Jesus. History tells us, this is interesting, that Thomas would serve the Lord and bring the gospel to the nation of India. And would be martyred in AD 72 for his faith. Doubting Thomas did that. It's incredible what happens when we take a step in the direction of of our Savior. Your doubt does not disqualify your faith. The fact that you have questions and doubts doesn't disqualify your faith. It doesn't. Satan would love to tell you that if you have a doubt about something, that your faith isn't real. That if you're not sure if God loves you or has forgiven you, then God probably doesn't. And that's not true. Don't let your doubts disqualify your faith. Maybe I could I'd talk for just a second um, we, we've talked, we use this language around here. Our church is called Pathway Church, not Pathways. Make sure there's no S on there. There's one way to God. But anyway, that's a, my own little pet peeve. We talk about how faith is a journey. It's a process, not just a destination. Not like, yeah, I said a prayer and I've arrived. Like, I'm, I'm there. It's like, it's, it's steps of faith, steps of belief. It's progressing in the direction of Jesus. That's the point. And so let me talk for just a second to parents, because as a parent, my wife and I have four kids. We desperately want our four kids to love God and to love Jesus and follow him like we do, of course. And it's easy as parents to panic when you see your kids doubting and questioning. 
And what's interesting about that is that if the disciples doubted, even after seeing Jesus, I'm pretty sure your 14-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-old might as well. (laughs) So don't be discouraged when they doubt. Don't be discouraged when they ask difficult questions. My kids always ask me difficult theological questions late at night. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, it's 11 o'clock. You should be in bed. I'm like, yeah, but I want to know about heaven. And tell me what it's like. And I'll be like, okay, this is what I think it's like. This is what the scriptures say. And I explain it all. And then they look at me like, that sounds boring. And then they go to bed and I sit up going, wait. <laughs> Apparently I don't have all the answers either. Um, so if we wrestle with our faith and we have doubts and we got to take them to Jesus, so do our kids. And they're watching us. They're watching their grandparents, and they're looking, and they're going, should I make their faith my faith? And that's a process that you walk through. So we don't let doubt disqualify our faith. We actually walk through it towards Jesus. I remember as a a young person um, being 18 years old, and I looked at my parents. They had a, a strong faith. I looked at my older brother. He had a strong faith. He'd come back to the Lord. And I looked at myself and went, is this real for me? And it began to wrestle. And there needs to be room to wrestle. And as we wrestle with our faith and we move in his direction, everything begins to change. The strongest faith is not a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through the doubts. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.